Here we go, rejecting the screen, the going ISO edition as we do every week with all sorts of folks who've touched the game. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stanko is out West. Our guest today, John Elmore, the Marshall legend, have his number retired at some point. Up in the rafters next to Hal Greer and Mike D'Antoni. He's the only Division I college basketball player in the history of the sport to be his conference's all-time leader in points and assists. Went to summer league with the Celtics. Played basketball overseas this year in Italy. Is back here in the U.S. There's a lot to get to. But your coach in college, I mentioned Mike D'Antoni, his brother, Dan, your head coach at Marshall. Give us something that when you think back on it, you think, well, that's something only Dan D'Antoni would do or say. Well, I mean, besides wearing a T-shirt under a suit every game, never wore a tie, (laughs) never wore a button-up, just a t-shirt repping uh marshall basketball i'd say that's pretty unique in itself so um coach santoni's a character and i was definitely lucky to play for him and it was a great experience did he ever get into nba stories if you asked him um, he talked about them all the time uh he would tell i mean anything from pranking assistant coaches to um working out with Shaq and steve nash guys like that who played for him i mean everybody sees a video uh it's been on Twitter lately of Shaq going to save a loose ball and you see coach D'Antoni just sprinting out of the way. So, um, I mean, just having him around, having that NBA experience and then bringing that to the college level to share with younger guys. Um, it was a blessing. You know, throughout your career, John, you've exploded in games In high school. You had 40 points in the second half of a sectional win. Um, countless times, scoring big time numbers in the in it during your time at Marshall but you were originally a VMI and when you made the move over to Marshall you were playing intramural hoops for a while and I had heard the story that you scored 100 points in an intramural game so can you please just break that down for me what that looks like so the team we were playing wasn't the best team uh, I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not, I got high, man. It was one of those days that you could have thrown up a hook shot and probably switched it. So uh, a couple of friends of mine that were from the area were like, hey, John, uh, you want to play intramurals? This was while I was sitting out my um, my transfer season in March. So I was like, yeah, man, I might as well stay in shape, keep playing, and ended up going off for 100. I gained like a 1,000 Marshall fans following me on Twitter. Um, so it was a cool introduction to the school and to Huntington and uh, definitely started the career off with a bang in intramurals. Was the game in the arena? It was in the rec center. It was in the okay. rec center. And um, man, I, I got hot, but I have to reiterate the team that we were playing was uh, probably one of the lower level teams in the league. Did you win it? Yeah. Yeah. We won the game. I think we beat them by. No, no. I met the championship. Oh no, we ended up getting disqualified because uh, we got in we got in a brawl with another team. You know, I didn't throw any punches. I was more of just kind of watching from the side. And there was a fight. We ended up getting disqualified. So that add that to the list of intramural rec stories uh, from my redshirt season. Wait, how did the fight start? Um, two guys. You know, intramurals intramurals gets intense. I wasn't aware of um, how intense the games were and how committed guys were to. Uh, trying to win you know there's a little smack talk here and there and it just kept escalating kept escalating uh, I subbed myself out because I was a little worried of what was going on and the next thing you know there were punches thrown people were running from other courts to throw punches and uh I kind of slid out over on the side and everybody messes with me like dang John you weren't in there with us and I was like yeah 
I got you on the next one. So yeah, <laughs> it was a, uh, that intramurals wasn't for me at the end of the day. Sophomore season when you really exploded onto the national scene. Obviously, you were terrific as your, during your freshman year, but you declared for the NBA draft without without an agent after your sophomore year. And I had read a quote from you that you said later, you said one of the big things I took from it was there were a lot of things I could do to improve my overall game, toning up certain moves, getting quicker, stronger, faster, taking care of my body better. I've learned the game at a lot more levels and it got broken down a lot more than it had been in the past. So where did you actually learn that stuff that you would need? So um, I was able to go out to Los Angeles. Uh, My parents, I mean, are they're the greatest and they um, put me in a good position. They were able to send me to LA and train with a pro trainer out there. So I was working with a trainer out there, uh, had three NBA workouts that summer. So just, I mean, daily you're training with NBA guys, you're going to these workouts with the GMs and everybody there and seeing how you match up. And I just, uh, I was able to take a step back afterwards and look at my game and just kind of what I wanted to do. And I understood that I needed to improve on a few things and keep, um, toning up certain things. So just having that whole experience to um, see where I fit in on the national scale versus all these guys that are lottery picks and stuff like that was was a great experience. And I think I think it helped me moving forward. So when I see all these guys declaring nowadays, I'm just like, I'm a huge fan of it because I don't really see a whole lot of negative behind it. Mm-hmm. Did you get to keep the gear that you get at all those workouts? <laughs> Dude, I'm not going to lie. I stole well, I didn't steal. They gave you the stuff, and then they tell you to put it back in the bin afterwards. I put a couple of them in my backpack just, just yeah. to have the stuff, to hang it up, um, to hold on to it. So there's a couple teams. I'm not going to say any names because they might know who took it. But I kept one of the jerseys, kept a couple pairs of shorts, um, some of the team socks, stuff like that. So, But that, that's between us, all right? Yeah, nobody's listening. We had um, <laughs> we, we, we talked to uh, Jar- we talked to Jarvis Hayes uh, a little bit ago. And he was the the tenth pick in the O three draft, the LeBron draft, and he'd gone to Georgia, and he worked out for the Wizards, and this was right after Jordan's final season with the Wizards, and he said when he worked out there, Jordan's locker was still like intact, and he said it oh. took every it took everything he had not to put Jordan's shoes, shorts, anything in his bag. So I'm I'm guessing that you would have not had that self control. Oh man. <laughs> We are talking about Michael Jordan, man. So, uh, credit to him, though, man. He did the right thing. I'm, I'm not sure everybody who would have been in those shoes would have done the right thing, but mm-hmm. I, I think he did the right thing. I think so. I think so. Did that? Uh, how? What teams that that year, that first year, saw so after sophomore year? What teams did you work out with, and how honest do you think they were with you with feedback? Uh, sophomore year, it was. I believe it was Denver with the Nuggets. Um, and then it was Toronto and there was Brooklyn. So that was, that was the workouts. And, um, I mean, it was fun because you are playing against all these guys that, I mean, being at a mid-major, you don't play against a ton of potential draft picks. And then now you're in these NBA workouts and you're playing against everybody from all the high majors, all the big names, and you see how you match up. So, um, it was definitely a learning experience, and I, I think I held my own slash um, showed some things. So, but were those organizations honest with their feedback to you? Did they actually give you the time and tell you exactly what needs to be done for you to take your game to that level? You know, I think some organizations really stood out above the others because 
some of them you did have meetings and you would sit down afterwards for 20 to 30 minutes, whether it was with the head coach or front office staff. I know when I was in Miami, sat down with their front office, Denver, um, I had a face-to-face conversation with Kenny Atkinson for like 20, or not Denver, Brooklyn, 20 minutes with Kenny Atkinson. Um, so some of the teams definitely put in a lot more, um, a lot more work and show, show the players that they care a lot more. And that definitely stood out after the fact of, once I finished up, um, just kind of liking those organizations more than some of the others. So you declare early again after your junior year, and then after your senior year, and Noah had run down just some of your accomplishments. Obviously, the list is is too long to go through all of them. But after your your decorated senior season, the the pre draft process officially starts because there's no more dipping your your toe in the water. Now it's you're diving in and and going for it. I know for you, you were meeting with tons of teams, tons of workouts. What are some of the moments during that early pre-draft process that stand out to you? Um, just being in the gym with those front office guys and those NBA guys. Um, I mean, in Indiana, I worked out for the Pacers, and you're sitting there with Larry Bird front and center. I mean, I grew up, that was my favorite player. When I was in Miami, Eric Spolster and Pat Riley are sitting on the sidelines. Um, when I was with the Celtics, you've got Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge running around. So, I mean, you're talking about the legends of basketball and the guys that have done it and laid the foundation before me and before other players. So it was a blessing to have that experience, um, getting to have those conversations with guys that you've admired from afar growing up and kind of modeling your certain things in your game after them. So um, that overall experience was, was phenomenal. Who were some of those the biggest names that you worked out against? Celtics training camp, I mean, you had Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Romeo Langford, um, Taco Fall. I'd say Taco's probably the biggest name in the world right now at this uh-huh. point, the way he's blown up. I mean, great dude, great dude. Um, and then just, I mean, in a lot of workouts, you had several guys that were drafted. DeJuan Hernandez was uh, drafted out of Miami to the Raptors. Um, Shamari Pons, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. So, I mean, coming from a mid-major, just, getting that chance to, I mean, I always felt like mid-major guys kind of get disrespected because they're not on national TV every day and all the high major guys kind of get all the hype. So getting in the gym and lacing them up on the same court, um, I <laughs> I like my chances and I got a show and I think I showed well. So um, if I could go back, I wouldn't change a thing. I know I, a lot more to get to with John Elmore, a lot to get to. Uh, but I, I might just have a built bar right now. I've been loving these things. I've been raving about them. No, I've been telling you about how good they are and that we cannot keep them in the house. And there is great news for that reason. I mean, we talked about the taste. It's the best tasting bar that is on the market, high in protein, low in sugar. They taste incredible. They have all these new flavors, peanut butter, banana, pineapple, upside down cake, coconut, pecan pie, as you pronounce it, pecan blueberry, lemon. But the thing is, Noah, this is the best part. It's okay that my kids are are eating these things up nonstop because this week, $5 off every box of bars up until May 31st. So every box, $5 off. And as we mentioned in the past, if you go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on, you also get off your first order. And you can combine those two orders. So now you're talking, Noah, $15 off. So again, go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, $10 
off your first order. And then you got the $5 off every box of bars up until May 31st. Great deal. BuiltBar.com. Can you take us through the the point by point of a of an itinerary for a week for someone in your position working out for teams? Yeah. So um, in my shoes, I wasn't as highly regarded as some of these guys that are projected lottery or mid rounds picks. So um, in my situation, beggars can't be choosers. A lot of guys get to pick. Oh, I want to work out on this day here. I'm on the West Coast. So let me let me do the West Coast, and then next week I'll get to the East Coast. In my case, I wasn't as highly touted as these guys, so I'm taking anything I can get. So my first workout was in Phoenix. Um, let's say it was on on Monday. So I work out in Phoenix. I get there at, I think it was 8 o'clock at night. You stay the night. 8 a.m., you wake up. You've got your workout. So I worked out in Phoenix. I think it was about 1 or 2 when the workout finishes. You shower up, and then you go to the airport. So I go to the airport. I fly from Phoenix to Miami. So I get there that night. It was, um, I want to say I got into my hotel in Miami at 11.30 at night. We had to be in the lobby the next morning at 6.15 to go get our physicals. So I've flown across the country through the night, get there 6.15, get our physicals. You have your workout. So we finish up about 2 o'clock, shower. I've got the rest of the day, and then I have a late flight in the evening. I fly from Miami to Sacramento. <laughs> I have the day off. I have the day off the next day. And then, so I rest up. You know, it's not a whole lot of rest time after flying across the country. Rest up. Next morning, I have my workout in Sacramento. Boom. Leave Sacramento, fly to Detroit, work out for the Pistons. I mean, leave Detroit, fly to Boston. Leave Boston, fly to Minnesota. I mean, it was just nuts. I'm flying back and forth all over the country. And this is in like a two and a half week span. I have eight workouts of just all over the country. I mean, my frequent flyer miles are booming right now. But, but, but how can you actually feel like you are in a good position physically to succeed here? I'm, it's tough. I'm, and it's tough. I'm not going to because you're not, you, I mean, you're not 100% physically, but at the same time, Millions of dollars are on the line every right. workout. You've got Pat Riley, Eric Spolster, Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge. I mean, you go down the list of all these guys sitting there courtside, and you can't be tired. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, in the back of your head, you're like, dude, I'm, I'm kind of gassed, but you can't show it because you're you're auditioning for millions of dollars. And I mean, a lot of guys don't have the privilege or don't have the high regard to pick their own schedule. So I'm sure there were several other players in my boat where they were just bouncing all across the country day after day trying to get your foot in the door and make the most of the opportunity look if you do anything long enough after a certain period of time the nerves will start to go away at what point during the workout process does it start to feel i don't want to say old hat but starts to feel comfortable you know what to expect you're walking into it at what point in the process does it really start to feel like you're not as nervous going into a workout when the workout's over I'm telling you, I was on edge from the beginning until the end because, like I said, millions of dollars are on the line. Everybody's in the gym. The, there's usually groups of six. I think some teams might do it different, but I think most are – all of mine were groups of six. So, usually you're matched up with another highly regarded point guard. There's two wings, and then there's two bigs, or there's just four wings or four – I mean, some combination of the six. So, that dude that you're matched up with is trying to kill you every time. So as soon as the workout ended, man, it was the biggest relief because you're like, all right, pressure's off. 
Mm. I can just relax. You can check in with your agent, call your family, let them know how you did. And I, I played well. I was happy with it. I think I showed well. But as soon as it ends, it's such a sigh of relief because you're like, all right, I got that out of the way. Let me check my flight schedule on to the next one and see what happens. Where was your best workout and why was it your best? I'd say my best one was um, in Boston. I think I shot the ball well, um, made a lot of plays. Um, we were able to uh, play out of the pick and roll a lot. And I think that's my specialty is playing off the pick and roll, making plays, um, whether that's knocking down the bucket or making the right read. And they put us in a lot of those situations. And I think I showed really well and ended up getting picked up for them, picked up by them for summer league. So uh, I think that overall was my best for sure. Okay, so you finish up your workouts, and then it becomes a question of of the waiting game. So I guess really it's two parts. First, what is your communication with teams leading up to the draft from that point? And then what does draft night and what ensues there look like? Well, I mean – it was quiet for me uh, because, I mean, your agent does their best to market you and try to, I mean, as a car salesman, they try to sell you to the team, why they should take you, the team seeing you. Um, so it's just a matter of playing a waiting game. I mean, a, a lot of guys don't get drafted. A lot of guys have to go to Europe for a few years and try to get back to the league. So um, to me, I I kind of had already found, figured I wasn't going to be drafted, so I didn't even watch the draft. I was in, I was at, outside in my middle mm. part shooting basketball just – I was like, dude, whatever happens, I'm working on my game. So whenever I do get my chance, I'm going to be ready. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it it hurts because your dream as a kid growing up is to hear your name called. And when it's not, uh, it hurts. But at the same time, it's motivation going forward to keep pushing. And if you really want what you're going after, um, keep putting the work in and see what happens. We've got more than just 15 minutes left with John Elmore. But all you need is... 15 minutes to experience Blinkist. It's one of the most useful apps on my phone because it takes the best key takeaways, all that need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can either read on any of your devices or listen to. And that's what I like so much about Blinkist. These days, we've told you this before, it may seem like you have a lot of time to do things, But if you got kids at home, you really don't. So right now I'm listening to (laughs) Warren Buffett's ground rules. That's what I just, that's what I've, I started this week. And as crazy as it is, I was two minutes in and then got interrupted. So, but the good thing is all I need is 13 more minutes to finish it. And that's exactly what I can do (laughs) tonight. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want for one low price. You can get The Virgin Way, Everything I Know About Leadership by Richard Branson, Mm -hmm. Becoming by Michelle Obama, The 4-Hour Workweek, Tim Ferriss, Tiger Woods by Jeff Benedict. You can get all these for one low price. And right now, limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash MBA. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. Free for seven days and then save 25% off your new subscription. Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA. Start your free seven-day trial and you'll also save 25% off. Only 
when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA, Blinkist.com slash NBA. All right, so then take us through that that timeline of, all right, and so now what am I going to do when the draft ends? So uh, I was texting with my agent throughout afterwards, just um, seeing what he thought, stuff like that. And uh, in the hours after the draft, in the next few days, teams are starting to get their summer league rosters lined up. Um, Boston had called, expressed interest. A couple other teams had called. Um, and Boston uh, seemed like the right decision. Uh, I was glad I did it. You know, summer league didn't really turn out how I wanted it to. You go from playing 38 minutes game in college to playing – on average two or three minutes a game because they've already drafted two point guards ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's a frustrating experience, but at the same time, I mean, it just, it fuels you. Uh, I remember calling my dad after I left summer league and I was, I got back, it was one of the red eye flies. I was like, look that I'm, I'm taking a nap and then we're getting back in the gym. So um, it's a tough, it's a grind. Like you all were talking about, you're flying all over the place. You're putting all this work in and then you fall a little bit short and you've got to figure out what's next. What's my, uh, what's my next route to get to where I'm going. And, uh, you've got to put in a lot of work to try to get there. Were you always this mentally tough or did it develop over time? Um, developed over time. I think in college I struggled a lot because you've got so much on the line every game. It seems like you're, um, like at a mid major, if you have one bad game against a high major team, guys tend to write you off. So, um, I would go home after games and just not talk to people, say I had a bad game. I would sit in a room just almost depressed. Like I wouldn't want to talk about the game, wouldn't want to do anything. And I really learned just how to separate on the court stuff with off the court stuff. And I think that has taken my game to a new level because as you see all these NBA guys talk about now, it's a mental battle. A lot of guys deal with depression through sports and stuff like that. It's a mental battle every time you step on the court, every time you think about it and it's stressful. So, I think I've learned over time through great coaches and family just how to deal with it better and how to keep pushing. It's one thing to compartmentalize, but it's another to like maintain that confidence level. I'm curious. I know some guys go back and look at tapes of themselves in high school to sort of remind themselves like, whoa, I can still play this game or guys pull up games where they had, you know, six threes and a half and said, okay, I can still shoot, especially with guys that are shooters. The confidence is so critical. What, what kinds of things have you done or do you do to keep your confidence up? Dude, that's, that's a great question because um, there was times throughout my college career that I would get in a slump. I always thought I was a great shooter. Um, and, I mean, my numbers would be bad or I'd go like a couple games and just be terrible. And I would shoot shots like sometimes during the game. It, it got so bad like I would shoot the ball and when it was leaving my hand, I'm like, dude, that has no chance of going in. And it's like you said, like shooting and playing is so much confidence and mental base that if you're not 100% locked in, just one little tweak here or there can affect your whole game. So like you said, I would watch I would watch a lot of college films. I'd watch other games. I'd watch NBA guys. I'm like, dude, how are they making it look so easy? And so when, once again, you take that step back, you try to clear your head, you go to the gym by yourself. Uh, I had my fiance. She was always there to rebound for me. So just staying after it i mean you keep hitting that wall until it breaks if you really care about something enough and uh, i kept fighting through kept fighting through and eventually you get out of it that's that i just was that's amazing to hear from you just because you're a guy you, you watch the film you're shooting shots from 30 you're shooting shots from 
you know, way beyond the arc and with such confidence, it looks like you're playing with all the time. So it's funny then to hear even someone like yourself say how much you've questioned it mentally. That's, that's remarkable to me. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one game where I knew shots weren't going to fall, at least in that first half was senior night was senior day when he proposed oh, to, man. when he proposed to his fiance, <laughs> I knew, Oh I mean, my goodness. I mean, if, if I could have, I would have bet the first half under because I, I knew, I knew John <laughs> Elmore was going to be way too jacked up to hit any shots in that first half came alive a bit in the second half, but I, I knew shots weren't going to fall in the first half, man, that I've never felt worse in the first half. I remember I came, <laughs> I think we were, I think we were talking before the game and, um, I was like, no, I was talking to you and I was like, look, man, I was like, dude, I'm kind of on edge right now. Like I'm proposing when we go you, out. Yeah. You, yeah. You told me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just remember, I mean, I got down on one knee and like, I almost teared up because it was so emotional and I was so happy at the same time. And then she says, yes. So thank goodness. She said, yeah, I don't think I could have played the game. If she said no. <laughs> and uh, I mean, how embarrassing would that have been? Seven. You, you, you would know. You, mean, you would have, I mean, have had to leave the state forever. I would have had to just tra- put my name in the transfer portal. Out now. Yeah, right. And um, she so would have had to leave the yes. state too, though, to be fair. <laughs> oh yeah. I'd have had to move. <laughs> and so she says, yes. And I'm just like shaking with emotions and we get back in the huddle and I'm looking at my team. It's like, all right, everybody, everybody, let's calm down. We still got a game to play. I think I came out airballed. Like my first two shots are just was uh-huh. way off and we're down like 19 to one, some yep. incredible score like that on senior night. I just got engaged. It's supposed to be the happiest time in the world. And the first half was rough, to say the least. We came back and won, though, so there's a happy ending to the story. But, man, it started rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did it ever. Right, let's get back to let's get back to pro ball then. So, again, since I certainly don't know the timeline, and I know a lot of listeners don't either, how do you end up where you did in Italy how did all those conversations go? How does it work with you, your agent, and the teams overseas? So Europe, um, it's kind of funny. They do things a little bit differently depending on each country you're in. And um, so your agent's job in Europe is to take all your film. And they, they scout a lot in Europe, so they have a good idea on a lot of players. But your agent's job is to take your film, your stats, all that, and market you in certain leagues and certain places in Europe. So they kind of sell you to teams and kind of try to get your foot in the door and then they'll call you and express their interest, tell you what they need, stuff like that. So um, the market in Europe is really funny just because it changes so often. I mean, guys move teams, guys get bought out during the year, go to bigger teams, stuff like that. So um, Europe is a whole different animal compared to the NBA, but at the same time, it's a really high level basketball really high level American imports over there. And even the players they have from those certain countries are good players as well. So I don't think people realize how good a basketball is actually played in Europe as well. So, yeah. So, so how do you end up landing where you did? So my agent, uh, had a few offers. Um, some teams were interested in France, uh, Italy, a couple other places, and, uh, just kind of going by what, what they needed and what they were talking to me about. Like, look, we have you coming in starting. We have you. Uh, this is how we're going to play. We're going to play up tempo or stuff like that. You know, they give their sales pitch and you've got to ultimately decide. I mean, money's a factor as well, but you've got to decide what's the best fit, um, where you see yourself in their system. And I mean, my goal is to ultimately play in the NBA one day. So I've got to go to a league slash place where 
I can put myself in a good position to try to keep climbing the ladder, whether that's in your in Europe or trying to keep climbing the ladder to get back to the NBA. So Europe is, I mean, it's a market, uh, tons of teams, tons of countries, and you just got to try to find your way and find the right path. And there's not really one designated path for everybody. So everybody goes through different things over there. So Europe's just a crazy marketplace. So you sort of alluded to it, but how much in terms of your decision where to play next is based upon your happiness playing in the city you're going to and you're, and you're fit and how much of it is I need to be on this particular team because that's my best chance to get back to the league. So I'm, it's tough. It's tough trying to navigate Europe because you don't always know what you're getting into. Um, you have conversations with the general manager of the team, the president, but then the coach might not be on the same page as that. You know what I'm saying? They're selling you to sign with the team. So I signed with my first team. I played in two teams in Italy this year. I signed with my first team and the coach doesn't speak English. So the assistant coach speaks some English and some of the players speak English, but I have no face-to-face conversation with the head coach of the team. So you go from in the U S where I played four years for a guy that he's, a, he's basically letting me call certain plays on the court. And if I miss a shot, he's like, all right, look, you're going to hit the next one. I don't care. Shoot it again to go to Europe. You get pulled out of the game and, you just have like a death stare and you don't know what they're, what's being said, stuff like that. So um, it's definitely a reality check. You're going in, you have to, you have to be committed to whatever you're chasing. Um, you have to really have the drive to play professional basketball in Europe sometimes because all situations aren't perfect. They seem good when you sign and you get over there and then you quickly learn that uh, it's not all sunshines and rainbows over there. Is there a translator? Um, so some of the guys on the team speak pretty good English. Uh, it just depends on where you are. Uh, most of the players in Europe speak pretty good English. My assistant coach spoke good English. And then my second team, my head coach spoke perfect English. So uh, it just depends on where you are, what country, what league you're in. But it's definitely a culture shock when you're going out to eat at a restaurant. You can't read the menu. The waitress is asking you what you want. And you can't even have a conversation with her about anything. So I'm on Google Translate on my phone, yeah. taking a picture of the menu, translating it, then trying to show her on my phone what I want. Uh, so you definitely have to learn on the fly over there. And we, we've ta- we spent so much time talking about the, the mental side of things. Emotionally, it's got to be a bit lonely. Man, I teared up the first week I was there probably twice and I, I don't really I don't cry most guys don't cry you know what I'm saying we're tough but I get over there and it's the first week and I am so homesick my phone's not working I don't have wi-fi in my apartment the ac is broken so you can't sleep without the windows open I mean the whole my whole balcony was it was 100 degrees in my apartment if you would have laid in the bedroom not by the window you would have been sweating so it was impossible so I'm going from a four-year apartment fully furnished over there to a place with ACs broken I don't have Wi-Fi my phone's not really working I'm running out of money because I haven't been paid yet I was supposed to pay be paid three weeks ago it hadn't came through yet I mean (laughs) the mental battle of being in Europe is a whole different I mean that's a whole nother conversation because you hear so many guys talk about how rough it is and I mean I'm glad I stuck with it but in that first week and a half, I probably thought about quitting and coming home. Like, all right, this this isn't for me. I need to update my LinkedIn account or something because I need to find something else to do. How how are you? I mean, I know there's a lot of American players, especially on the first club that you were on. Um, 
Pelicanestro Trieste. Is that Trieste, how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of former U.S. players, guys, you know, from all over, Akil Mitchell, um, Derek Cook, uh, Cody Justice from Arizona State, people may remember. But how did how did the team accept you when you when you first got over there? Um, it's kind of, it's hard when you're going into Europe as a rookie, because you're kind of looked down upon. Uh, most of the, I think I was the only rookie on my team. Uh, most of the guys are vets, but I was lucky because the Americans on the team really, really took me in. All of them had been playing for a couple of years. Cody justice. It was the second year. Uh, we roomed together on the road. One of my good friends over there. Um, but I got lucky in the situation that I was in. I mean, you hear vet stories all the time from NBA guys, but I have a ton of vet stories where they kind of took me under my wing from day one, um, talking about how to get through practices, how to do certain workouts, um, moving forward in my career, what type of paths to take. Uh, I mean, I got to give credit to Quan Jones. He played at University of Miami, had a little had a stint in the NBA and the G League, um, played overseas, one of my good friends. So guys like that, him, Akil Mitchell, Derek Cook, uh, all really kind of took me in and just Taught, taught you the ropes so I mean I had the perfect vets for my rookie year because those guys all experienced Europe have some experience in the NBA as well so they've seen both sides of it and how to maneuver and how to navigate the path and uh, just picking their brains and having them around and having guys that cared about you is uh, you couldn't there's no substitution for that yeah but but being at restaurants I mean you can be in different parts of the world and and not know what you're ordering and get something that you absolutely do not want to eat but in Italy you're going to eat anything right No nah, the food in Italy I mean best pizza best pasta everything is natural it's not like America where everything's like real greasy and stuff like yeah. that you eat a pizza in Europe and you're like dude I want another one but you don't feel fat so there's no grease all natural ingredients so I I was lucky to get into Italy because the food and the living is just phenomenal. Right, so, but how do you, but how do you not get fat? Oh, dude, a lot of running because I mean, when you're eating the pizza over there, you're like, man, I'm, I'm going to eat another one. And you end up getting another one and you <laughs> eat all that pasta. I swear I eat pasta and pizza for breakfast over there. So um, you definitely miss out on the American food because you grow up eating it. You grow up eating chilies, Buffalo wild wings, outback. Yeah. I mean, you can go down the list fast food, but it's not available over there. So you've got to really change your diet. But it's kind of easy because everything's natural and all the ingredients are fresh. So you can eat a lot more over there and still not put on the weight. So really, really cool. Yeah, that's the life. So so you had mentioned that you, you switched teams during that year. It's also during around the – it was shortly after you find out that that your wife is is pregnant. Um, I, so you go from northeastern Italy to this island town in Sicily. Um so what what is is your mental state at that point? I'm shook up, man. So we are playing in Rome um, right before all this happens. We're playing in Rome, and Tori goes, my fiance goes with a couple of my teammates, a couple of the Americans' wives. They were there, and they all went on a little trip to Italy or to Rome. So Tori's like, "Hey, like I might uh, I might go shopping while we're in Italy, we're in Rome," and I'm like, "All right, cool. Just don't spend too much money." So I get a call <laughs> later on that day. She's like, hey, I, by the way, I bought my wedding dress. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, okay. I guess when in Rome. <laughs> Three weeks later, we're about to move teams. I find We find out she's pregnant. 
Um, so the whole, I'm, my, my mind is on just an emotional roller coaster right now. We've got a wedding dress. We've got a baby doing eight and a half months. And now I'm moving teams. So just another part of the, uh, the Europe grind, I'll say. All right, so how did you compartmentalize all of it? Um, you just keep moving. You keep moving. You keep, you have those goals in your head. Um, my first spot was a little up and down. I had some good games, had some bad games. Um, but just kind of a roller coaster of trying to get adjusted. I moved to my second spot, put up better numbers, but I was a lot happier in the second spot. The coach spoke English. Um, the city really welcomed me. It was a small town, kind of similar to where I'm from, but, um, it's tough because you've got so much going on at the same time. You've got to manage playing basketball, putting all your energy into that. But at the same time, you've got a family, you've got a baby on the way. Um, you're worried about everything going on. And then you've got the virus starting to spread while you're trying to play basketball and you're flying everywhere to play the game. So it's an emotional roller coaster. But I mean, you hear, I mean, and you hear so much about these mental battles players go through. And I mean, it's very, very real. And you've got to have conversations that you're not used to having just about how your mental um, mental awareness is each day and how, how happy you are throughout the day. And just having those conversations definitely took me a long way, whether that was with my fiance or with my, with my family. Mm -hmm. I, I want to get into the, the virus and how it impacted everything. But since the goal is to be playing basketball in, in the U.S. and be playing in the NBA, how often are you speaking with your agent while you're over there all right, is there, are there any opportunities here? Was the G League an option? How often are you having those types of conversations? Uh, you check in with your agent. I mean, some guys talk to the agent every day. Uh, I talk to mine probably once a week, whether it's before a big game or after the game, just checking in if they watch the game, um, stuff like that. So my agent's a pretty, pretty solid agency, um, but they've been a number one communication with me. Uh, they always keep me up to date on everything that's going on. So Anytime there's a offer on the table or they think there's something I can improve on, uh, they've been there every step of the way. And having a good agent goes a long way because you really count on them because one of my agents speaks like seven languages. So wow. he's talking to all these teams in all these different countries. I can't do that. And a lot of agents don't have that ability. So having an agent who speaks all those languages and has that ability to market you in multiple countries whether that's in America and the U.S. playing in the G League or getting to the NBA, or whether you're in Slovenia, Russia, Hungary, Turkey, Croatia. I mean, there's so many leagues over there. Having those connections is huge. Did you play in any of those, like the stereotypical Euro League arenas where people are smoking and setting off fireworks in the building? Oh, you see smoke all the time. I mean, I remember we're playing my first pro game in Europe, and I we're in warmups and I'm like, dude, why is it so loud? And you just hear all these air horns going off, people yelling, people flipping you off without a shirt on. I mean, it was just a culture shock. Unless the game was a migraine. I had to pop a bunch of the lever Advil just to get the headache away. But I mean, I started getting the headache in warmups because of all the air horns and just the atmosphere. So when you hear pro soccer games in Europe, stuff like that, it's very similar to the basketball over there. But, but are people still allowed to smoke in arenas there? I don't think so. They have designated oh, okay. smoke areas outside, but I remember when we came back in at halftime, you could just smell the smoke everywhere. I guess where they opened oh. the doors up and people fled back in. So it was that that part of it wasn't fun. What uh, what what differences did you notice in terms of style of play, attitude of the players, just just the game itself? 
Uh, it's a lot more physical in Europe. Uh, it, I mean, it reminds you when you see like '90s basketball in the NBA. That's how that's how Europe is now. A lot more physical. Uh, I'm used to getting all these calls, shooting all these free throws in the U.S., and then I get over there, getting tackled out of the air on a layup, and it's not always called. So you've got to make that adjustment. And a, a lot of rookies go through that transition where you have to kind of slow the game down. You have to learn where to pick your spots and where you can uh, where you can make the right reads because you're getting bumped. There's more contact. Guys are stronger and older. And it, there's definitely that transition period, and I think it took me a little while. But once you get it, you're fine. But it definitely takes a little while to get. All right, so everyone here sort of experienced the stages of COVID-19 together, it felt like, in the in the States. <laughs> But we were watching from afar, seeing what was happening in the early stages in Italy, and obviously things were advancing so much quicker, and, and it seemed like a world away, uh, for lack of a better phrase. So how were you impacted as it was moving along, and really, what did it look like out there? So, I mean, like you said, Italy was just getting crushed, and it was devastating what was happening over there. And... I mean, at the same time, you still got to be concentrated and focused on basketball. So we're, um, I mean, some of my teammates, we had everybody on the team was in a group message where we would kind of talk about everything and just stay up to date with each other. And as we were in South Italy, South Italy wasn't really getting hit as bad, but at the same time, we had to go and fly up to North Italy for some of the games. And some of my teammates started talking about, hey, we're a little worried. Maybe we should meet with management. We don't really want to go. And I'm thinking like, man, I'm just, I'm getting my paycheck. I got to play the games, whatever. But then I'm like, hold on, my fiance's here with me and we're having a baby. So now I'm starting to get a little worried and Italy was pretty quick to act. I mean, everybody has their own critiques on what happened, but so we keep playing and in the back of my head, I'm like, dude, this is, you know, I kind of want to go home. And so we keep playing, we keep playing. And then our last game I'm there, I think it was March the 7th. They go, all right, we're having a game, we're playing at home, but no fans are allowed in. So we played a professional game, which felt like a pickup game. You would get a bucket, there's no fans, you could hear a pin drop in the arena, and you're running back on defense, and it's silent in there. I mean, it's like you're playing pickup in the summer with your boys. So that was the craziest thing I'd ever been a part of, was playing a professional basketball game after having thousands of fans in the arena, air horns, all that, to nobody in the gym. If the NBA gets started here, how do you think NBA players are going to respond to playing in games with nothing going on in the arena? You know, I don't think it'll be that bad because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a basketball game and you don't really think too much about the fans. Yeah, it adds the momentum and stuff like that. But with all the TV deals and all the money involved um, and NBA guys, most of them genuinely liking to play basketball. I don't think it'll be too bad. I know I'm killing, I'm itching to see some live sports again. So I'm hoping it gets started up as fast as possible. All right. So, so how did you then get home? So once we played, so after we finished the game with no fans in the arena, we're all sitting in the locker room, just kind of talking about, wow, that was awkward. We ended up winning, which was cool. And, but that was kind of awkward. And everybody's like, Hey, Hey, the coach is coming in. We've got a team meeting. So he comes in on March the 7th and after the game that night and he goes, um, Hey guys, they're suspending the league. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. So he goes, Hey, we're suspending the league. And then he calls me later that night after I've already got back and he goes, um, 
hey, the league's suspended. I think the country's going to get shut down here in these next few days. We think it's going to start back up. But if you want to go home, you, you and your fiance are welcome to go home for a few days. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So we have one more practice. It's March the 10th now, 8 o'clock in the evening. And I'm like, look, let's, let's get home. Forget everything. Let's get home. I'm worried about your safety, the baby's safety. I want to get back to my family. So we book our flight at 8 o'clock on March the 10th. At 8.30, the Prime Minister of Italy comes on and says, hey, we're shutting down the whole country. We're starting to limit the flight. And it turns out we flew out the next morning. We were on the last Delta flight from Rome to Atlanta. They were doing all kinds of screenings in there. Delta was shutting down flights from Rome to Atlanta for however long. And we were on the last one. So getting out of there when we did was, it couldn't have been better. Wow. That's crazy. And I think it's also also awesome that you let Tori sit in first class while you sat in the back in the middle seat. I think that was it was really I think that was really nice of you. Definitely had to upgrade her ticket, definitely. So what so what have you been doing? So, I mean, it's been hard with everything shut down. I mean, gyms are just now starting to open back up in West Virginia. Basketball courts haven't. But um I have a small my we built a house when I was growing up and we have a small basketball gym in the basement. So I've been able to use that and running a lot, doing a lot of cardio outside and just trying to stay in shape like everybody else. In hopes of what? A small it's, gym, though. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait <laughs> one second. Noah, Noah, Noah. It, it's a small gym. So I had I had read that th- that it's there's three rims. You're like NCAA certified court. Give us a little more description about this home <laughs> gym that you've got going on here, Don. Okay, okay, okay. I was trying to just get past that real quick, but now let's bring it up. Um, so we built a house when I was in fifth grade, I believe. And West Virginia, ton of mountains. Noah's been here, ton of mountains. And the way our house is set up, the lot is straight down the hill. To build up to road level, you had to build up 30 feet. So my dad, former player, we played at the time. He was like, I got an idea. Put in the court. Used it every day since. Got a ton of work in it, but three baskets, wood floor. It's probably about a little bigger than half of a half court, so plenty of room to do individual workouts and stay in shape while everything else is shut down. What What are the hopes of doing what next for you, basketball wise? Um, you know, I'm, I want to play for as long as possible, and the goal is the NBA. So, um, if I have to go back to Europe, I want to be ready and try to have a bigger year and better year, so that. If my number does get called NBA-wise, I'll be there. I'll be ready. But I want to try to make as much money and play as long as possible, whether that's in Europe, in the G League, or in the NBA. So it's just a matter of trying to maximize my game and be ready uh, when the time comes. How do you balance that there could be more money in Europe versus the getting seen more, maybe more exposure in the G League? I think uh, it's a great question. I think a lot of guys have a tough decision with that because I think you can make a lot more money in Europe than going the G League route. Now, if you're in the G League, you can get to the NBA quicker. You can get called up midseason, et cetera. But in Europe on a yearly basis, making the salaries over there, uh, a lot of guys pass up the opportunity to play in the G League to make that more money because you only have so many years of building your brand and being able to play at a high level like that. So, some guys decide making more money is more important than trying to take that next step. You mentioned sort of the scouting that the teams in Europe do when you're playing in the States, but you still have to sell yourself. How much 
are NBA teams, at least to your knowledge, aware of what you guys are doing playing Serie Two or what have you in Italy? Um, you know, it's. I think it's. I think it just depends on the league, like you said. Like the first division I was in, um, really high level basketball. Former NBA guys in there. We played against Luis Scola this year. He plays from Milan. So I mean, a lot of big time players play in those leagues and going to the second division like I did um you still it's a grind you have to find a way to keep pushing yourself every day whether there's scouts watching or not and be ready when your number's called uh, it was funny I played with the Celtics this year in the summer league and one of my teammates Javante Green who ended up signing with the Celtics um played in Trieste where I was and mm. I mean he just signed an NBA deal so I got to talk to him pick his brain about mm-hmm. playing in Europe stuff like that and I did more research, and it turns out he played in second division Italy. So um, there's hmm. guys that are able to find a way to make it to the league, and it takes a different different route than most. But there are ways around it. You just got to keep grinding and hope hope one day you get good enough to do it. All right, let's let's close with some quick hits. Adam before mentioned confidence and watching old games to get your confidence back. What is if you needed to? build your confidence back up what is the college game of yours that you would first pop in to watch first college game if it was my senior year i'd probably watch the western kentucky championship game uh conference usa championship game against western kentucky when we made the ncaa tournament or beating wichita um so just different years i'd go back to different fields but probably the conference championship or ncaa tournament game were the best ones for me when you look back at your your time in college, and obviously different, you were in summer league and all that, but your time in college, obviously you played some great guards uh, just in the NCAA tournament alone, Landry Shamit, Javon Carter. Who's the best player that you played against during your time in college? That's tough because, I mean, Virginia, when we played then, they had Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, and DeAndre Hunter. I mean, that's three draft picks right there. So I'd say that was the best team. Um, best player, I'm not sure. They kind of all run together after a while when you play in those high-level teams. But I'd say Virginia was definitely the best team, and it turns out they ended up winning the championship. So uh, that's, that, I'd give it to them. John, who's the guy in the league right now that you look at and say, you know what, I, that's who I need to sort of emulate if I'm going to to play at that level? I mean, everybody keeps telling me I'm Alex Caruso because of my hairline, and I don't really appreciate <laughs> that. But I love I love Alex Caruso's game. He's a guy that, I mean, had to take a different route, but he's made his career off playing hard and playing the right way, and uh, I, I admire him. Yeah, when you, when you do see Alex Caruso's game, does that change the way you work out or approach things day to day? It, it kind of – makes you think about every possession a little more and going a little bit harder on every possession, whether that's not taking a play off here and there, you know, in college, I got to take a couple plays off on the defensive end here and there. Don't tell coach that, don't do that. But, um, hmm. you know, it just makes you lock in that much more and every possession means something more, especially when you're trying to get to where you want to be. So um, just a little bit of everything. You mentioned Dan D'Antoni. Did you know before you went there that every practice was going to be open, like a Hoosiers feel, and that only classic rock would be played? I had no idea. So, funny story. 
when I decided I was getting back in, I left VMI, I was out of school for two months. When I decided to go back, when I decided to go to Mars, I had never met Coach D'Antoni, never had a conversation with him or anything. So I texted him the first day I enrolled. I had no idea I was going to be on the team. Texted Coach D'Antoni. I'm like, hey, Coach, um, John Elmore. He's like, all right, come to my office. We'll have a meeting. So I walk in his office. Music's playing at 830 in the morning. And he goes, all right, tell me about yourself. I haven't really seen film. I've heard of you. Tell me about yourself. So I tell him we get through that. He goes, all right, here's a jersey. We'll see what you got at 3 o'clock. The rest was history. I mean, couldn't have been more welcoming, but at the same time, we didn't know each other. I had no idea. He gave me a practice here and said, all right, we'll see what you got, and the rest was history. Wait, so wait, so what, went, what went down at that first practice? I mean, I I was rusty. I, I think I airballed a couple, but at the end of it, he was like, man, I like you. You've got some stuff to your game. Um, we'll see how it goes. And so I was at the next practice and ended up on scholarship and um, it worked out pretty well, but like mm-hmm. you said, no rap music, 50s <laughs> to 70s, pop music. <laughs> so great. Practices are all open. You've got boosters. You've got fans. You've got homeless people on the sidelines just watching, and he's having yeah. a good old time talking to everybody during practice. So uh, definitely a character. N- not counting intramurals, because we know you got you got loose there. But in a legit game, what's the deepest you ever shot it from? Um, I think Wichita State. I think that might have been mm. the deepest from the hash because I, mean, I don't. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was a loose ball or a kick out. Just caught it. One of those feelings. Hey, this is going in. Pulled it. Swish. Changed the game. But I think that was probably the deepest uh, pull up, not a half court heave or whatever at the buzzer. All right, and final one for me. We talked a little bit about the the food over in Italy. What's the one dish that you got over there that now has has been just game life changing for you? Italian pizza, man. You've got you've got the pizza here, and it's great. But then you get over in pizza over there, you eat the pizza. It's all natural. Uh, all the ingredients are fresh, right out of like a brick oven. Uh, definitely a game changer. So, have you now turned your nose up at Italian food back home? Yeah, I can't go to Olive Garden, man. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. No knock on Olive Garden. If they want to sponsor me one day, we'll we'll talk about it. But Olive Garden doesn't even compare. I mean, I could have told I could have told you that before you went to Italy. But anyway, the, the podcast is called Rejecting the Screen, so we always ask all of our guests because this is the conversation that the guys used to have in the '90s in the back of the bus of who you give the ball to, game on a line go ISO, get a bucket, and you can't say Jordan. That's what the NBA guys used to always say. So we ask you, of all the guys that you've played with or against, who's the one guy that you'd feel most confident giving the ball to, game on the line, reject the screen, go ISO, get a bucket? Are we talking NBA? Oh, we're talking the guys that I played against? The guys guys that you've played with or against. Oh, man. Can Can I give the ball to myself? (laughs) <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you cannot. Oh, oh man. I guess um, you kind of just did, but yeah. yeah. You, I took it if back. If I could give the ball to myself, I would take it. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people would want that yes. last shot. But, um, ooh, that is a tough question, man. Uh, played against a lot of great guys. Um, you know, I played against Catino Mobley last summer, and he was like 40, but in his prime, I'd probably give him the ball. 
All right. That's Pat Mobley. First, first, right. first vote for uh, Katino Mobley. All right. John, we appreciate it. Best of luck, best of health to Tori, future baby, the whole family. And we're looking forward to following your career as we always do. I appreciate y'all having me, man. I got to know John from calling a lot of Marshall games over the past few years. And I guess I don't think I had him at all my his junior year. Maybe, maybe once his junior year, then a bunch of times senior year and watching him play. I mean, so, so he's the all time leading scorer in conference USA and the all time leader in assists. And I was there Mm -hmm. for his, for the record breaker, I think in conference USA, I was there for a game at home. I was there, I talked about for when he proposed to Tory. He was there for a game against UTSA, Steve Henson, former NBA player. He's the, he's their head coach. And he got the ball. They needed three and a foul. They needed a four point play to tie the game with like five seconds left. And that's exactly what John Elmore got. And only John Elmore could do that. I mean, as he said, you know, give the ball to him. That's he's a bucket. He is, he's a bucket, not just an intramurals, He's a bucket. He's the all-time leading scorer in Conference USA. I don't care what conference you're in. You're the all-time leading scorer. You can play basketball at a really oh. high level. And that place is that place, dude, in Huntington is a great place to see a game. When I say it's like Hoosiers, it is. It's a barn and it gets loud. And he's Jimmy Chitwood or or mm-hmm. was, you know, right, back yeah. in during that that stretch. His junior year, he was one of two players to finish Top 10 nationally in points and assists. Trey Young was the only other player to do that that year. He was the first D1 player in at least 35 years because they didn't go back beyond like 85 with 800 points, 200 assists, 200 rebounds. He had two triple doubles his senior year. He's got a 44-point game and ends his career as the only player in NCAA history, 2,500 points, 750 assists. And as you point out, just watching him from afar, it wasn't to me – the accolades, the stats, the numbers, it it was just certain guys have a knack for just not just big shots, timely shots, but also just a flair for the game and just a great feel and knowing how to like raise the level of play of teammates and and always step up when it really matters. And I, there are very few guys that come around like that. And watching John Elmore in college was exactly that. You always knew that he, at some point he was going to stick a dagger in the other team. It was unbelievable watching him play. And we've talked about this before, and you've been asked this a ton, and so have I. When someone will say, is so-and-so, name a player, a good guy. My response 99% of the time is, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really know that guy. Maybe I've interviewed him a few times, or even if, even if you've been around him a fair amount. You don't know. You don't really know what they're like day to day or in their personal life. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me, and as I've been asked, John Elmore, good guy, he's a great guy, and and I can confidently say, and I can confidently say that. Yeah, there's no question. And if you couldn't, if it didn't come across in this podcast, which I certainly thought that it did, just everything you've told me about the kid, uh, I'm rooting for him, and I think that's. Uh, the, the biggest compliment is you can pay guys. I'm rooting for him because he, he's uh, he seems like a, a really special individual for sure. 
This episode has been brought to you by BuiltBar.com. This week through May 31st, you get $5 off any box. And if it's your first order, use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you get $10 off. So that's $15 off any box if you've never ordered before. If you have, you still get $5 off any box. The best tasting, all sorts of flavors, including blueberry, lemon, coconut, pecan. That's a new one. Peanut butter, banana. Yes, please. Chocolate, coconut, low sugar, high protein, great tasting protein bars. Go back and listen to previous episodes of rejecting the screen to going ISO editions. And even some of the non-going ISO editions, like the one we did on Tuesday about what a game may look like, sound like on TV, if and when we get going again in Orlando, that's evergreen for a certain amount of time. Or even the Last Dance ones, if you haven't watched the Last Dance yet, watch an episode and then listen to the podcast for our behind-the-curtain type analysis of those. And also, of course, all the other interviews. Kevin Willis, Richard Jefferson, Peter Vesey, Ryan Russillo, Sam Mitchell, where else do we go? Eddie Johnson, Adam Morrison. Kenny Anderson. You can follow everybody on Instagram, the two of us, at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam, been very active, working mm. on the hashtag game to get some more mm. followers there. He's on Twitter at NaismithLives. A nod to James Naismith, the father, the founder of basketball. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Hollinger and Duncan every Monday here on Locked On. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, all things NBA draft. And go back and mm-hmm. listen to our Going ISO edition with Chad Ford because there's a life of Chad Ford that you likely do not know and that you will learn about. Locked On NBA five days a week. Your team every day on the Locked On Podcast Network and Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best. <laughs> 